Osiris. Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this podcast is part of the Osiris podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics. Check them out for all kinds of new music, news, and information. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to GuitarCast. I'm your host, Andy Keithley. This is episode 21 with mandolinist Scott Gates from the Salty Sweets and the Get Down Boys. This is us jamming in the background. It's pretty nice, isn't it? We have two new reviews on Apple Podcasts. Southern Songs and Stories says, Not a guitar player, but I find your conversations about guitar engaging. They speak to the mystery of what makes music so unifying, so necessary to us all. And the D&D Podcast says, Great stuff. This podcast has some great conversations with a bunch of very underrated musicians who are making it in the music world. I love it. Outstanding work. So thanks for those five-star ratings and reviews. Another way to support the show is to fill out the Osiris Listener Survey. As the Osiris Network grows, we want to learn a little bit more about you and what you want to hear more of in our podcasts. If you take the survey, you'll be entered to win one of two prizes. You could win an LP of Fish's Rift album signed by Fish lyricist Tom Marshall or a $100 Amazon gift card. I'd take the vinyl. So click the link in the show notes or go to osirispod.com to take the Osiris listener survey. Also, just a reminder, I'm going to be at this year's Con of Thrones presenting on the Sounds of Westeros panel. Con of Thrones is the largest ever convention for fans of Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire. We're going to be digging into the lyrics of George R.R. R. Martin and the music of Ramin Javadi from the show. So come check out that panel if you're going to be in Dallas for Con of Thrones. You can get tickets and schedule info at conofthrones.net. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at GuitarCastPod. And don't forget to check out guitarcast.net and osirispod.com. Here comes episode 21 with Scott Gates. Welcome to the GuitarCast, everybody. Today, our guest is mandolinist Scott Gates. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, the first question that we like to ask here on a guitar cast, and I think I might know the answer to this, what was the last gig you played? Ah, see, we just got back from Big Sur. Okay, so it was uh, the Coffee Gallery with the Salty Sweets. Nice. Yeah. Coffee Gallery, that's in Altadena? Yeah, that's right. It's in Altadena. Uh, it's a listening room in the back of a coffee house. And the coffee house has changed hands quite a bit, but uh, the original proprietor of the Ice House runs the back room. And cool. he's just been pumping out little little gigs ever since. And the Sweets have played there a lot. Oh, yeah, that's our, that's our home. Right. Yeah. So the Salty Sweets, that's your band, mm-hmm. has been your band for a while now, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, God, 10 years? Right. Something like that? Yeah, I remember uh, you know, Scott and I have played probably a thousand gigs together mm-hmm. over, you know, 10 years or so. And I remember the first time that I met you, you were like probably 14 
Sounds right. <laughs> you know? And uh, you were, I was probably at a bluegrass festival somewhere in California. Yeah. And, and, Huck Finn, uh, maybe? Huck Finn or one of those, one of the dozen bluegrass festivals around. And uh, I was there with the Get Down Boys, and I think we just met jamming and late night jamming in the, in the campgrounds. Probably. I'm in the middle of that for sure. Yeah, and we were we were quite impressed with your mandolin playing and and singing even back then. Guys, oh, <laughs> uh, but I think you were with the Sweets even back then. Definitely, that was probably the first kind of like you know first band that we that we associated you with. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about the Sweets. Well, uh, it's an indie band. Um, and uh, that's everything from the feel of stuff like Elliot Smith to uh, Nico Case. Um, it's comprised of mainly the core is myself uh, playing mandolin and uh, singing. And uh, Chuck Hales, who is a, a jazz classical bassist um, uh, from Utah. He lived in Austin, Texas for a while and moved out to California. I met him when he, as soon as he moved out, so it's been probably 12 years I've known that dude. Um, and he plays uh, upright bass and sings as well. And uh, Chelsea Williams um, is playing guitar and mostly mostly rhythm guitar and sings. And we all three of us write. Cool. So it's mostly an original indie band. And we cover stuff that we like. Anything from Oinko Boingo to, uh, you know, Fred Cockrum, Tommy Jarrell, old, really old uh, 1800s kind of stuff. Yeah. So the, the idea is that, you know, Chelsea's this singer-songwriter that kind of has a pop thing. And Chuck is this classical jazz bassist that's kind of has a, a mind of a psychedelic explosion. And then I kind of bring the bluegrass thing to it. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's the hope anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's a string band and, yeah. and uh, it's kind of like an avant-garde string band because it's mm-hmm. very hard to classify the styles that the Salty Sweets play. Yeah, I feel like Americana is even too specified. It's, I think indie is just the way to put it because we are an independent sure. band, completely independent. Yeah. Built everything independently. Cool. And uh, yeah, somewhere along the line, somewhere back then, uh, we started we started hiring you on for Get Down Boys gigs. Yeah. Right. Hired gun. Yeah. Mercenary. And and then eventually you became a permanent member of, of the band. Yeah. Um, what what are the Get Down Boys up to? I haven't really haven't talked to. Well, that's not true. I had Mark Cassidy on the podcast a yeah. few weeks ago. I listened to that a couple of days ago. Yeah, that was good. It was a good one. He killed it. Um, He's but, got that voice for radio. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what are the Get Down Boys up to nowadays? Um, I think the most exciting thing that we're doing right now is um, we're going to go play the, uh, the Telluride uh, uh, band concert. Cool. Or sorry, competition. Right. So yeah, we're heading to Telluride to play the band competition. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. That, I hope that goes well. Um, we were kind of looking into the other bands that had won and, I, and we're, thinking, we're thinking we have a good shot. By a mile, yeah. <laughs> I think we have a good shot. Um, other than that, it's been um, it's been a lot of writing. There's a lot of new writing coming out, and uh, I think we I think we have a good chance at uh, at really doing something. We have this weird idea too. We've been working with our buddy John Frizzell, um, and we have this weird idea of recording the entire Peanuts Christmas album with bluegrass. Nice. <laughs> Which is kind of it's it's one of those things that like it'd be fun to kind of record and put out and see what happens. Absolutely. You know? That's I mean that's an classic that's just one of the best one of the only listenable christmas albums out there and i you know that'd be pretty cool <laughs> yeah. to hear in a with a bluegrass instrumentation have you heard bob dylan's christmas album no 
<laughs> should I? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's the, it's all traditional, you know. So you got the bells, you got oh, the. Wow. It, it all comes in with violins and like. Da, 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 da. And he's. Nice. It's just like Tom Waits meets like. That's Dean great. Martin. It's hilarious. Cool. Um, I'm I'm actually playing your guitar that you brought in today. Yeah. Tell me about this guitar. Well, it is called Guitar Cast, so That's I figured right. I, I'd bring it in. So I was looking for a guitar um, for a while. Israel um, has been messing with this guitar, and I just wasn't happy, and I needed my own. Uh, I had a Blue Ridge, a BR-140, that started to collapse on me, or implode, really. The, um, the bridge was starting to lift off the top, and it was one of those things that we got it for like 200 bucks, and we didn't want to fix it, so... Um, it would be more expensive to fix it. So I was looking for a guitar forever, couldn't find anything. And my buddy Paul Davis, you probably remember him, um, he's had this guitar sitting in his closet, and I was griping to him over it on the phone, and he was like, you know, I have this Martin. Um, you remember my Martin? Yeah. He's like, it's really woofy, it's a good band guitar, you might want to come check it out. So we roll in uh, to Boulder Creek in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and it's sitting in this wet fucking closet, and it's like in this ratty case. We pull it out, and... After taking it to a few festivals and taking it around to a few people, um, it turns out it's a 1983 Martin uh, D41V. And the V stands for Vintage Line. Um, so they called up these builders from the 40s to come build a few of these guitars. Um, and they called it the Vintage Line. So this is kind of, kind of 40s, but it hasn't had enough time to open up, but it's... It's a great cut of wood. It's basically a D28 with better wood. Yeah. And it's a D45 with way less bling. Um, and it's a throwback to the herringbone. So you have the herringbone um, around the edge of the guitar. Yeah. Around the edge of the That's face. nice. Yeah, I love it, man. It's one of those things. It's like you find some of the best instruments that way. It's like been sitting in somebody's closet. That's... You know, yeah. it's always a good sign. It makes you wonder what's all out there sitting in somebody's closet right oh, now God. or somebody's garage where they, you know, got some priceless instrument that will never see the light of day. <laughs> well, it's here, let me divert to mandolins real quick, too. So on top of this, um, I've heard this story where this dude's in New York, right? And he's checking out pawn shops. He's kind of a pawn freak. And he's a bluegrass dude, and he knows his mandolins. And he walks into a pawn shop in, in uh, Brooklyn, I think, and there's a mandolin on the wall. And he gets closer and closer to it, and he's like, that looks like a Gibson. It's definitely an F5. He gets closer, that looks like an old Gibson. And he nonchalantly, you know, asks the dude to come over, and he says, hey, can you uh, pluck that off the wall for me? Let me just take a look at it. You know, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe I kind of want it. It looks pretty, might go to my wall. <laughs> and he takes a look at it, and he looks inside. Not only is it a Lloyd Lore, it's a signed Lloyd Lore. Wow. <laughs> wow. And it's pre-Fern. So it's sure. got those, it's got that, uh, that vase at the top, and his hands start shaking, and he goes... Hey, uh, so, you know, how much do you want for this piece of shit? He goes, well, you know, I, I guess I guess 100 bucks would be good. Wow. And the dude had the balls to talk him down to 50 wow, bucks. Wow, <laughs> nice. And then the dude sold it. This yeah. is a friend of David Nadish's. It's a, um, the dude <laughs> sold it and put a down payment on a house, bought an RV. <laughs> I guess if you're going to, if you, you'll give yourself away if you say, 100 bucks, I'll take it, no problem. Yeah, exactly. Then he's going to think something's up, so you almost have to talk him down. Mm-hmm. That's it's a hell of a hell of a story. Yeah, I don't remember much from my childhood, but that's definitely one of them that <laughs> <Yeah>. comes along. <laughs> yeah. So, so when did you get into like bluegrass and mandolin and, and going to these festivals and stuff? Uh, the start, of, the start of that story is um, my grandfather's from Sicily, 
uh, and he brought the mandolin to the family gatherings to every every time there was a Thanksgiving or a party or a you know Christmas anything like that he pulled out the mandolin and it was a family of musicians um, but it was kind of scattershot uh, my uncle Scott who's my namesake uh, played bass for Three Dog Night for example um, cool. and Tiffany wow. <laughs> that kind of era of like 80s music and then um, uh, my uncle Bruce was kind of a studio musician kind of guy um, so it was a little a little all over the place and they would just kind of play rhythm to my grandfather who would sit there and um, play through the lead on on some of the pop tunes from like the 20s to the 40s and some old Italian numbers uh, and he wrote a few um, so the mandolin was pretty prevalent right there and then I wanted to get into it I've been playing piano since I was three years old I've, it's my, been my whole life my, par- my parents got me on it um, and I following like trying to follow the mandolin um in California gets you to people who play bluegrass. Right. You know, so I'm trying to follow that. I'm seven years old mm-hmm. and I'm picking up the mandolin for the first time and finding a, a teacher. The first thing they teach you is something like Blackberry Blossom. The yeah. And if you think about it, it's a scale. Yep. Yep. It's just a, a, a f- more fun to listen to scale. Um, so we followed that. And then about 10 minutes from where I lived out in the Mojave Desert, they had the Huck Finn Jubilee, which is where I think we met. Yeah. Probably. Again, I don't remember much because you and I did a lot of partying together. Yes, we did. Yeah. (laughs) Memories are a little hazy from back in those days. Yeah. So bluegrass was your first kind of introduction to the instrument. I think so. Yeah. Everything was so classical coming from piano. So I would say that the... uh, that the mandolin and singing eventually is what, I mean, I fell in love with bluegrass right away, right. for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's more about, it's more of a community and a, and a philosophy than it is a style of music, I think. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like how jazz is more of a philosophy than anything. Right. So in the same way. Yeah, you know, I don't think most people uh, realize that California is like the second, maybe third biggest bluegrass region after like Appalachia and like maybe the Northeast, as far as region, yes, uh, uh, yeah, and and when you think bluegrass, a lot of people don't think California necessarily, but it's huge. I mean, it's it's huge, mostly up north of L.A. Uh, it makes its way into L.A. from time to time. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you're looking at it, right? <laughs> it's like, right, it's right, right. Me, man. I know all about that <laughs> bluegrass Siberia, uh, but like. <laughs> Man, I mean, for years we did festivals up and down the state, and people came out, and the jams were big, and there was oh, yeah. just young kids and all all ages, and like, oh yeah, it was a pretty big deal, and uh, it has it kind of has its own. In, in in some ways, it's more traditional than back east because you have this progressive bluegrass thing happening back east. Which is very cool, and it's it's very impressive to watch right. the kind of more progressive sound. Whereas all the people I met in the California bluegrass world were like diehard, <laughs> prototype, Bill Monroe, early 50s bluegrass. I oh, mean, yeah. like, that was, that's the name of the game in, mm-hmm. in a lot of these Forties to fifties. There's there are, and this is a this is a difference I've been I've been um well first let me touch on the on 
the fact that the South is so progressive now. Yeah. And the California is so traditionalist. It used to be flipped. Right. You know, obviously it sure. came from the South. But the, this Nash Vegas sound that's come out of the South has, I mean, it's it's gone from, here's like your your standard bluegrass chop, right? Yeah. It's like a bell and it's hardcore and it's a little more, bop, right. bop. it's like a snare drum, right? And then this is something that you'll hear out of the South. Yeah. And then if there's no sound, it's just, it sounds like a. Right. It's like, it's more of like you're chopping wood or something. It's, yeah. it's completely changed. It's a much thinner, more polished sound in the South. And out here, where you'll hear a run in the South, like, you know, uh, uh, and out in, out here, you're going to hear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, they're going to, yeah. they're going to hammer the hell out of this thing. Right. So it's it's funny how it's switched around because um, as as you, I know you've talked about Tony Rice out, out on this podcast. Oh yeah. So as Tony Rice came out of California and was playing a progressive style. Yeah, you know, like in the seventies, it was. Uh, and Ricky Skaggs lived out here too at that time, and you have like Clarence White and uh, you know California was definitely the home of bluegrass for a time. Um, oh yeah. It's well, and as far as associations too, you're you're mentioning the regions, right? You know, per capita, a place like North Carolina has way more banjo players than any other state. Sure. But as far as associations, you know, the International Bluegrass Music Music Association puts on a a huge convention and festival and concert series. Um, started in in Louisville, uh, moved to Nashville, and now it's in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, and. Uh, the California Bluegrass Association is the only association with its own floor on the hotel. Right. Everything else has their own room or their own conference room. Yeah. When we went to IBMA floor. a few years ago, we were at IBMA and uh, uh, the we, you know, we were like ambassadors from California, and the the California crew there like helped us out, got us some showcases, and like put us up and stuff like that. And it was, I couldn't believe, you know, just how much of uh, representation. California had up over there, and uh, yeah, there there are probably huge, yeah. there's a there's a number of um, association bluegrass associations in California, all up and down the state. Yeah, it's it's split up into into um, it's regional within California for sure. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's uh, I mean, man, you know, I I first got into bluegrass in Boston, but right as I was leaving Boston, so I kind of caught the bug, and then like a year later, I was living in California. So right as right when I was like at the prime of my excitement for bluegrass, I was <laughs> here in California, and going to to these jams and to the uh, the festivals and stuff, and so it, it had it wasn't spoiled for me yet. Like it was still new and, and very fun, and like I just remember, I just remember really getting into the traditional aspect of it because I feel like I was uh, I was a little uh, you know nervous and a little um uh like scared of the progressive players because in new england there's all these monster players that a lot of them got into bluegrass after a jazz background or or you know uh like a gypsy background so it sounds like a squirrel stuck in a piano yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and it's like it's like intimidating man you know yeah whereas i came out here and everyone's like no you're you're playing too much you, you gotta play a little less and you gotta you, you, oh, you gotta go, go listen yeah play the melody and and go listen to some 40s uh and 50s you know 
Bill Monroe and yeah, that's the number one mantra from out here, man. Is is start start at the beginning and then yeah. move forward. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, which is great that you start somewhere like like I, I know a woman that started at the Steel Drivers. You know, mm-hmm. she was into pop country, straight ahead, right. like radio country, yeah. and then if you want to even call it that, and then it slowly moved backwards to the Steel Drivers, Chris Stapleton, and then you start getting into things like Balsam Range, Special Consensus, yeah, and then you start moving backwards to things like Larry Sparks, yeah, and that's where you're like, boom, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then go backwards from there, and and he played with Ralph Stanley, who was the first recorded bluegrass, and then back to, as far as an album, and then and then you get into you know Flat and Scruggs and Bill Monroe, and that's it, that's all you need, yep, right there, Stanley Brothers. Flatten Scruggs, Bill Monroe. Yeah, I mean, you know, I took that advice and I started at the beginning, but I never really left. I never really got out of that early stuff. Like for me, <laughs> I consider like the Tony Rice unit to be one of the new bluegrass bands, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know. A lot of the very, the actual new stuff, I, I can't get behind a lot of it, man. It's too poppy. And the, oh, of course, yeah. It's no, just trying a to sell little it. too, I, I, it's not rugged enough for me. It's not right. like, uh, it's part of the appeal of bluegrass is that it's not polished and it's no. not, it's not, uh, you know, opera, well, it's real in a way. Yeah, it's, it's real, man. It's it uh, it's it always has sung and and reflected the um, the predicament like the predicament of the entire human experience. Yeah, love, jealousy, and right. death, and war, and I mean everything you can think of that sucks and is awesome about being a human is bluegrass. With, it, bluegrass will cover it. Sure. Yeah, in a really raw way. Support for this podcast comes from Zuri Food, all natural, all human grade dog food offering four different diets to optimize nutrition for your pup, and now two different kinds of dog treats as well. Visit www.zurifood.com today to order yours, because pups are people too. That, that, those are the building blocks of bluegrass. Exactly. Old time and blues. Uh, the Appalachian grass and the, uh, and the blues from the farms. Yeah. So... Um... What do you say? Well, let's play a little old time. Let's do Lost Girl. Yeah. So I want to talk about this before we get into yeah, it yeah, just yeah. a little bit. So this, the melody is going to accentuate different harmonies um, that the rhythm and the chord structure does not imply whatsoever. The rhythm and the chord structure are going to be one four one five one pretty much the whole time. There's a little change at the end of the B part, but otherwise it's. It's as straight ahead. It's like bluegrass four number two. You know, it's like the most straight ahead yeah. idea of bluegrass, um, or at least this type of music where bluegrass came from. Um, and the melody is going to go to places like can you play the, that first chord. That's making a G six right there. And then uh, the next chord is going to be uh, it's a over four. It's a C major seven. These dudes back in the late 1800s, in the up in the mountains, were playing yeah. We're playing jazz in a way without realizing it. Yeah. You know, they were just like, oh, that sounds pretty. Right, (laughs) exactly. Pretty sound. And not all of them, not all of the songs are this intricate or this impressive, but a lot of them are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it's a a G. So just listen for that. It's a, it's, this melody is absolutely gorgeous and I'm not really going to stray too much from it. Wow.
that don't turn you on, you ain't got a switch. Yeah, man. <laughs> Lost girl. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about this mandolin. Um, it is a JR158. Uh, um, it's That's the model number from uh, Mr. Michael Lewis. Lewis. Uh, yeah, he's a builder out of Grass Valley, California, so it's a Lewis Mando. Um, it's built in uh, 2002. Uh, it's got a uh, Engelman spruce top and a, uh, a beautiful one-piece uh, maple back. It is a loud mm-hmm. motherfucker of a mandolin. Yeah. It's got a lot, a lot of power. I've had to learn how to try to temper it, but it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to not want to just go for it. You know, it sure. feels so good. It fills me up. Um, maybe it's a little self-indulgent, but, you know, who cares? Um, yeah, this mandolin has done me well. This is priceless to me. This is one of those things that I'll never be... Uh, the way I look at this mandolin is I'll never be penniless, and I'll never be homeless. I'll always have a place to go. I'll always have money to make. Because of this thing. Sure. And I'll always be, I'll never be bereft of some sort of soul because of it, you know? Yeah. Like, this is, this is the, uh, this is the instrument. Yeah, so, so you mentioned, uh, like, making money. Other than doing the gigs, obviously, playing with bands, you do a lot of busking. Yeah, that's, that's been a huge part of, of, uh, of finding my voice and, and my own sound and all that, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, busking for those of you who uh, are unfamiliar is uh, you know basically playing in a crowded area, mm-hmm. putting your case open or hat whatever, and uh, people will listen. And if you're any good, you'll get some money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people who aren't very good, I see making money too. Well, but, of course, um, it's kind of like it's you know at the very least people will pass by, and for people that aren't uh, that are just learning or yeah. that are a little weird in the head or something. Um, They'll give money because, like, hey, at least they're doing something. They're not just, like, standing right. there with a sign. They're not begging. Sure. It's not begging. It's not panhandling. It's, you know, busking. Is a, it's, it has a specific name because you are doing something. Yeah, you're doing performing. Something. You're trying to give something to the world, yeah. I think I think that, uh, you know, because I've done my fair share of busking, too. And right. it's cool to see people's reactions. And I think that's because people are hearing music and they're not primed to hear me. They don't get in the car and go to a concert <laughs> right. and say, I'm going to go hear music tonight. Oh, yeah. They're just walking to the store or yep. they're walking down the street and all of a sudden there's this music and it's yep. getting louder as they're getting closer. And all of a sudden you're hitting somebody at a time when that's the last thing on their mind. Oh, man. Oh, you get me fired up. Yeah. Oh. And that's what that's what makes it kind of cool and, and special. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's I've seen some people, you know, you really just put a huge smile on a lot of faces uh, when you're out playing. And... I'm I'm partial to bluegrass, of course, but I always want to hear bluegrass on the street, man. Some that's some of the <laughs> oh, yeah. best. Some of the best players are out there doing their thing on oh, the yeah. promenade or wherever. Um, and so I I grew up play, uh, busking on in uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. So I was living at that buddy's house in Boulder Creek that I got this guitar from, and I would I would just take the bus down the the uh, the nine highway and busk all day. And um, the way I think about it, I mean, I do it I do it out here still. I do it anytime I'm free. It's a paid rehearsal. You can think of it that way. Um, you make good money doing it. It's anywhere from thirty bucks an hour to, especially if you're selling CDs, it could be two hundred and fifty bucks an hour. It depends on where you're at and what time of day and what time of year. Um, but a big so I mean you can do it in front of any grocery stores wherever whatever you want. But in Santa Cruz, the way I thought of it, and this is going back to your um, this is pertinent to what we were saying. Yeah. Um, 
the way I think of it is this street is a, is a vein and all these people are blood cells and it's my job to create a clot. So yeah. I'll, I, my favorite thing to do would be to set up, um, get going. I really like using the, the, the mandolin because it's another thing that grabs people out of their routine. Yep. Um, you're trying to snap people out of their routine. So I would do pretty f- relatively, um, not flashy songs, but something that's high-pitched, fast, fun to listen to, get people in the mood. People will stop and start listening, start filming, start mm-hmm. tipping, and then you you can snap people out just by noticing that there's people standing there. So once you start a little crowd, a bigger crowd right. will, will form. My favorite thing to do would be to grab this huge crowd, get a huge one going, um, playing a bunch of fun stuff and then hit him with something really heavy and yeah. sad and make and my <laughs> yeah. whole my whole what I wanted to do was make people cry in public. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because <laughs> that's it, huge. It will. It's and a it huge will win because again they're not primed. You're you're it's a it's like a it's like a, a sneak. Uh, <laughs> you're like sneaking emotions on people at a, in a time when they're not they're not uh, ready to hear it. And I think it's awesome. You know, it's I think Sun Tzu had a book on busking. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's do uh, let's do another let's play some more music, huh? Yeah. Let's do the prettiest girl I ever did see. This is uh, an original of mine that uh, we used to play with the Get Down Boys. Once upon a time. Yeah. I you know speaking of old time, I I went on a trip. I want to say I think we went to uh, we were coming back from Colorado or. We were on some tour, and the old-time thing really grabbed me, and I was like, man, I need to learn more old-time songs. And I also thought, I need to write some more, write some old-time, write some songs that could be written 150 years ago. You know? yeah. yeah, make it fresh. That's kind of my goal. And this, this kind of came out of that. So there's no, it's, it's not like a verse-chorus type of thing. It's just verse after verse after verse after verse. It's very simple chords and the melody is relatively straightforward Mm. Um, so this is my take on a modern old time song prettiest girl i ever did see yeah Hollered in a one, two, three, the prettiest girl I ever did see. Yeah. 
fired up see this is the this is the kind of thing this is this is a great example of old time because it's so meditative mm -hmm. and that's that's why it's repeating those melodies yeah um because the bluegrass thing is a very much like modern kind of song structure you know verse chorus uh solo verse right. chorus solo yeah. and this is just like verse melody verse melody verse melody yeah it's um you're supposed to kind of nerd out on it also i'm gonna i don't i don't care if you put this in here or not but I'm gonna call you down on this. She kissed me neath the cherry tree. You dog! Now if that doesn't turn you on, now you really don't have a switch. <laughs> you are switchless if that doesn't yeah. turn you on. I remember she kissed me neath the cherry tree. I know what you mean. When I, <laughs> what are you talking about, man? There's a there's a tree. Yeah. Oh sure. And yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another thing I wanted to capture. You know, like. Uh, <laughs> Trying to wax poetic. <laughs> These songs, you know, long before rock and roll was like tongue in cheek, dropping sex references in songs. Oh, yeah. Long before that, bluegrass was definitely doing that. Oh yeah, okay? it was it's, tongue and taint. It's it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all over there. Man. It's all so I, I I did not want to shy away from that, and uh, and I I really that that line jumped out at me too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a great uh, there's a great song called Walking the Dog. Yeah, it's yeah. a Webb Pierce tune originally, which is kind of this old country. You can compare him to somebody like Ray Price, um, Buck Owens, maybe. I mean, around that era, anyway. Um, and I had been singing this song. It's a great bluegrass tune. Bluegrass people covered it. Uh, Jimmy Martin is, I think, the first one to cover it. Kind of this like 1.5 generation <laughs> yeah. of, of bluegrass. Yeah, and, exactly. And he. Uh, <laughs> so he would play it and it was a, it was a song that went around it was it was an easy progression it was really fun to listen to it's bouncy i'm walking the dog i'm feeling blue i'm walking the dog yeah so i'm thinking i ain't thinking about you i'm full of pep uh no worry no how i'm walking the dog all over the town so it's like such an easy life since uh since the day i left you right so i'm thinking okay like he's you know he's single he's fresh he just left the relationship and he's walking his dog and that's great and i'm and i'm not thinking anything of it i'm not thinking anything of it until i mean i'm, I'm i swear to god i'm singing this song for like 15 years 10 yeah. 15 years and then it and dawns then on you one day it dawns on me and there's this one line that goes i'm walking the dog all the law will allow and i'm like all the law will allow so this dude's walking. The, where is it illegal to dog. walk your dog? Oh, <laughs> oh, the little dog. Got it. His little dog. Wiener dog. Yeah, yeah. wiener dog. Okay, walking the dachshund. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
You want to? Let's do "Walking the Dog" and then we'll do that Bill Monroe tune. Oh, we can go into it. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Is it, we're gonna do a, a, do it in the same key or? Um, yeah, it's in the same key and it's the same chords too. So it's it'll be we'll a medley of we'll play "Walking the Dog" and then I'll hop into this Bill Monroe tune. What? trying to man it's uh we edited it out but uh andy punched me in the nuts for that one <laughs> that's right well hey scott uh thanks for being on the show man thank you 
Hope you had a good time. Oh, of course, yeah. I'm a big fan of podcasts, and I'm a big fan of this one now. Anything on the Osiris Network, for sure. That's right. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. This episode was produced, hosted, and edited by me, Andy Keithley. Thanks to our sponsor, ZuriFood.com. And thanks to RJB and Tom Marshall and everyone else over at the Osiris Network. Thanks for tuning in to GuitarCast with Andy Keithley. See y'all. Osiris. Osiris.